So good morning, everybody. And uh, this morning, though, this is our last uh, this is our last session here, talking about the new birth. Like I said, next week we're going to be getting into John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, right? But this morning, though, we're focusing on answering the question: What happens when we're born again? What happens when we're born again? Jesus tells us that being born again is necessary, right? We've talked about that. And that, you know, we must be born again even to see and enter the kingdom of God. And last week we explored why it was necessary, but this week we're going to explore what happens because this is all going to set the stage then for what's coming next, John 3.16. So let's recap just a little bit. Let's just recap our situation that we learned last week, why it's necessary, right? Paul wrote in Ephesians 2 and Colossians 2, the reason we must be born from above is that all human beings are so radically corrupted because of the sin of Adam that we're spiritually dead. Some people ask, right, you know, do we sin because we're sinners or are we sinners because we sin? And I say both, really both. But the fundamental answer is that when Adam disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, uh, he disobeyed God, then he literally inflicted upon the human race what we call original sin, the first sin of Adam. It was the original sin. Romans 5.12 states this, So therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. So sin, this, this radical corruption that we have, came into the world through Adam, and it spread like cancer throughout everybody, the whole human race. And Paul also explains in Romans 5 that as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so because Adam was what we call our federal head, right? Adam's decisions and what he did in the garden would affect all mankind, right? Because we're all descended from Adam. Adam, he sinned, he disobeyed God. This cancer came into the body and we're all descended from Adam. So that cancer travels through us as well, right? So when Adam sinned, Adam condemned all of mankind to sin and severed the spiritual relationship that Adam had in the garden with God. Now that relationship has been severed. And because God is holy and righteous, right, he must punish sin. Sin is literally treason and rebellion against his kingdom, God's kingdom and his person, right? He's a just God, justice. When, when people break the law, then we demand justice, right? We demand justice. So consequently, uh, all mankind were condemned to God's wrath, and that's his punishment for sin, right? We literally have three major problems now because Adam did what he did. One is that we break God's laws, right? The Ten Commandments, we can't ever live the Ten Commandments. We're going to like tell a little white lie here. We're going to look at the Victoria's Secret commercial on TV and go, man, you know, I mean, we, we, we break God's laws and, as, and we are cosmic traitors against an eternal God. Therefore, you know, we are condemned to eternal punishment, right? If you commit treason against the United States government, what's the penalty? It's written in the Constitution. It's death. The penalty for treason is death. The penalty for treason against the United States government is death. So the penalty for treason against an 
eternal, sovereign God is eternal death. We need our crimes forgiven. That's our one problem. Secondly, we were created by God, right? And therefore, we are obligated to God to obey his commands and live as he desires. We have a debt, though, that we cannot pay because we have failed to keep our obligations to God. Our debt has to be repaid in full. That's our second problem. We need our crimes forgiven. We need our debt paid in full. And then third, when Adam disobeyed God and injected this cancer of rebellion into mankind in the form of sin, then our relationship with God was severed, right? We became enemies of God because of this treason. We now need someone, though, to reconcile us back to God, to mend this broken relationship so that, now, so that then we may have peace with God. Right now, we don't have peace with God. We need somebody to help us, a mediator, to come between God and us and help us mend that broken relationship. So that's our third problem. Something had to be done to remedy these problems. But because we're dead in our sin and dead men can do nothing, the act had to originate with God. God had to take the first step, right? We love because he first loved us. So we're going to look at John 3.16 again, like I said, next week, Lord willing. But it states the remedy very clearly, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So this morning we're going to be exploring then what happens when we believe. We're born again, right? But what does born again do for us? I mean, it's necessary, right? We talked about that last time. So it must do some great act in us and for us in order to remedy these three cosmic problems that we have as human beings that confront us, right? And it does perform a great act, and that great act is called regeneration. All right, so let's read our text this morning again, starting John 3. We're going to start with verse 1. We're going to read through verse 8. All right, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and read along. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus, not beating around the bush, right, with Nicodemus, answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So regeneration, right? That's our $2 word for this week again. It simply means the transformation of a person's spiritual condition from death to life through the work of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration, the transformation of a person's spiritual condition from death to life through the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember, dead people can do nothing. 
right? We're dead. So we got to be born again. We literally have to be resurrected, born again, born from the state of death to life by God himself so that these cosmic problems that we have for ourselves, you know, can be taken care of and then we can live our lives according to what God has promised. So this is what Nicodemus did not understand when he came to Jesus, right? Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he was one of the most religious and devout, you know, group of Jews there was, right? He performed all the rites and rituals of Judaism in detail. He dotted all the I's, he crossed all the T's, right? And they were supposed to be the most knowledgeable ones of Scripture. I mean, they walked around, they were proud, they memorized Scripture, like, books and books of scripture. They could just rattle off books on a whole, right? They were teachers of the scriptures. Uh, They were role models for all of Israel, right? But as we shall see later in John, Jesus actually had some of the harshest words for the Pharisees because while they were supposed to be the most knowledgeable and they memorized it all, they actually completely misunderstood the basic teachings of the word of God. Now later again in John, Jesus tells the Pharisees that you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So what Jesus means here is that the Pharisees believe that salvation came from doing the law, basically doing just what the scriptures told them to do, but they were mistaken because they believed they could work their way to heaven. Oh, the Bible says this. Well, I'm, gonna go, I'm just going to do this. Literally, they thought they could work their way to heaven, dot all the I's, cross all the T's, right? And they would be good, but they misunderstood that. And Jesus told them that they completely misunderstood the purpose of the Scriptures, that the Bible really pointed to him and life in his name and how to, how to, how to take hold of that. So this is what Jesus meant in verses 9 through 12 in John chapter 3. We didn't read that this morning, but I'm going to read it now. So Jesus said, one has to be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. But Nicodemus, in a very puzzled manner, said, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, then how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Jesus was actually rebuking Nicodemus right here. I mean, because he was like saying, wait, you are not a teacher, right? If you look at this, he says, you are the teacher of Israel. So Nicodemus was probably one of the highest, most knowledgeable teachers in all of Israel. He had a very high status. And Jesus was saying, what? You are the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand what I'm trying to tell you? How can I even begin to tell you of heavenly things when you don't even understand the comparison I'm trying to make with earthly things? But remember, though, the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit. And this is what Jesus was trying to tell Nicodemus. He was trying to make the case with him, kind of to knock him off his high horse, right, and his reliance on his own work. Because remember the Pharisee said, well, I can do all these things, and then I will be able to see heaven. And, and Jesus was, was trying to say, 
you don't understand what I'm saying to you, right? Jesus was instructing Nicodemus that what is born of the flesh is flesh, but what is born of the spirit is spirit, and we'll talk about that, to convince him of his need not for his own works, but for Jesus Christ himself, right? To enlighten Nicodemus of what the Messiah, what Jesus was really here to do and what it really meant to see and enter the kingdom of God. So we're going to look at a couple of points, several points this morning on what it means to be born again. What We have to be instructed by Christ through the scriptures in order, you know, so that we understand what it means so we're not like Nicodemus and going, how can we, mother's womb be born again? What does all that mean, right? So we're going to talk about what it means. So one is that Jesus Christ reveals salvation by God and that when we're born again, we believe and we receive eternal life through what's called our union with Christ, our union with Christ, right? Christ is the key. Remember in John chapter 1, John writes that in him was life, referring to the word Jesus Christ. Jesus also said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? The life. John also, uh, Jesus also said in John's gospel, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But then in John, John also writes that the Spirit gives life in John 6.33, 6.63, I'm sorry. So what's the relationship between these two? Jesus says, I am the life. The life was in him. The life was in Jesus. But then he also says that the Holy Spirit gives life. So what's the relationship between these two, right? Jesus is the source of all spiritual life for human beings, right? Remember, we're dead in our sins, so we have to be resurrected spiritually in order to be reconciled to God. So the source of life is Jesus Christ. But the problem is we cannot resurrect ourselves, right? I mean, if we're dead, we can't bring ourselves back to life. You know, I mean, there was an old TV show. It's not old. It's, you know, this is not The Walking Dead, right? The zombies just don't come back and walk, right? When you're dead, you're just dead. I mean, think about this. When Lazarus, later in John, we'll talk about this. When Lazarus was in the tomb, he could not bring himself out of the tomb. He was dead for four days when Jesus showed up. I mean, after four days, you're starting to decompose and you're stinky. You don't smell good. I mean, that's, that's you're in there, right? You're dead. Four days, you're dead. And Jesus, though, was standing right outside the grave. And Jesus didn't say, Lazarus, Lazarus, I am waiting for you to reach out and take my hand. Come on, then you will have life again, right? Just come on, you can do it. Just try a little harder. You can get up. Look, I'm reaching out for you, Lazarus, take my hand. No. Jesus says in a firm, commanding voice, Lazarus, come out. And what happened? The Holy Spirit swoops down, gives Lazarus the life of Christ. Lazarus immediately gets up and he walks out of the tomb. He's still got the grave clothes on. Bam. This is what happens in the new birth, right? Jesus says, Brett, rise up. And the Holy Spirit comes in like a strong gust of wind, gives me life in Christ, and I rise up 
right? I come to Christ. My eyes are opened. My faith is restored. I fall down on my knees and just, I fall down on my knees before Christ and just take a hold of him, right? And I believe, I believe. I can finally see now with my new eyes, with new faith, and I believe. I love Christ. Why? Because he first loved me, and he took that first step. He brought me to life again. Now I can live for him. But it's the spirit that connects us to the life, Jesus Christ. We're born again, then we are in union with Christ. That's why Paul can write in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, right, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now I'm alive with Christ. Christ lives in me. I can live by Christ and for him through faith in him. I mean, this is good news. This is the good news right here. So secondly, When we are regenerated, we receive a new life. We don't get more religion. We don't get a new religion. We don't get more Pharisee religion, right? We don't get a few tweaks, few repairs, slap a new coat of paint on our old self, right? We are given a new nature and a new life. You were born in the flesh, right, from your mother, with sinful desires and a sinful disposition inherited from our first father, Adam. But now, in order to see God and be adopted into the family of God as brothers and sisters of Christ and brothers and sisters of each other, right? we need a new life, cleansed from all sin. That is, we need all this this dirt and filth and sin and unholiness taken out of us. But we also need a new disposition, Right? We need a new disposition. We need new, because we need to love what God loves. We need to hate what God hates. And we need to have a desire to grow closer to God and Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what Jesus means when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water, of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what exactly does he mean by this? Wait a minute, you have to be born of water and you got to be born of the Spirit. What, what does wa- where does water? We've kind of been talking about the Spirit, but what does water have to do with all this? Some people think it means baptism. This is called baptismal regeneration, right? Roman Catholics believe this. Baptism regenerates you. But this concept is wrong in a number of ways. So one is being born again is clearly stated in the, in the, in the Bible to be by God. You're born again. You're born of God. You're born from above, right? It's by the spirits, not done by man. But secondly, if he means baptism in this text, then why isn't water or baptism mentioned anywhere else in John? It's actually not. This is the only time. You're born of water, born by the spirit, but every single other time, all the way through the book of John, it says, you must believe. You must believe. You must believe. It doesn't say you must believe and be baptized. This is the only place. Nowhere else in John does it even mention water or baptism. So I don't think it means that. So also, uh, Jesus cannot be telling Nicodemus that he has to be baptized as a Christian, right? Because then Nicodemus really wouldn't understand what he's talking about. Wait, I got to be baptized and what? This whole thing, what? Right? 
But Jesus, though, the problem is Jesus was really surprised and astonished that Nicodemus didn't know what he was talking about. So in order to figure this out, let's go back to the Old Testament to make the connection and see what Jesus meant by being born of water, right? When Jesus said, Nicodemus, you've got to be born of water, Nicodemus should have understood this, but he didn't. So let's go back to the Old Testament. Let's see what the Old Testament says. So the Old Testament speaks several times of cleansing with water so that a person will be clean from their uncleanliness, clean from sin and transgression. And this is mentioned several times in Jeremiah and Ezekiel in connection with the new covenant. When Jesus comes, he implements a new covenant secured by his own blood. God promises to make his people clean. So I'm going to read a little text here from Ezekiel, and I'll show you what I mean. Ezekiel 36, starting with verse 24, says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanliness. And from all of your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you. Where does that, does that sound familiar? I will give you a new heart and a new spirit that I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll remove your dead, stony heart and give you one that is alive. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So when Jesus speaks of being born of water and the spirit, I think he's saying that two things happen simultaneously, right? One is we must be made clean of our unrighteousness. Remember, God is holy. God is righteous. He can't even be in the sight of or next to anything that is not clean or not righteous or not holy, right? Our sin must be forgiven. And then number two, though, we must be given a new heart. So I think this is what Ezekiel is saying. One, we must be clean from all of our uncleanliness, our sins, our transgressions. We need to be washed clean. But that's not enough, right? If our sins are all forgiven today, then five minutes later, we're just going to continue in our old sinful nature, right? If we're cleaned of all of our sins at this very moment, what happens in the next moment? We're just going to keep doing the same thing, right? Because we have this old nature, this old heart. We're going to continue to sin and rebel against God. But when we are cleaned and then given a new nature, right, there's a different story. Now we have a heart, a nature, a new disposition, a way of looking at the world, right? Toward the things of God, and we look toward God rather than away from God. So remember, you know, we still, I mean, I'm still living in this body, right? So I still have this fight within me. Paul even talks about that in Romans chapter 7. I have this fight because I have a new nature and the spirit's in me, but I've been in this flesh for a, a year or two, right? And I still have to fight this flesh, but now I have the spirit and the power that I can do that. But we need to be cleansed from our failings and sins as we continue to be a Christian. But we're also given a new nature. We're given what I call new want-tos. I want to do something else besides what I used to do. I want to live in a different way than I used to live, right? Um, I love what God loves. I hate what God hates. 
we are born children of God who love God and can indeed please God. Right In the new birth, God puts his spirit in us so that we want to do what God wants us to do. We have this desire. We want to. But then consequently, you know, I mean, the new birth is a one-time deal, but that's not all. It's a one-time deal. We're made alive. The spirit is in us. But then the spirit, as we live, continues to mold us, grow us, develop us. Sometimes I like to say we take one step forward and two steps back. Sometimes, though, we take two steps forward and maybe one step back. So we continue to grow. The Spirit grows us, molds us, help us to, helps us to become more like Christ each and every day. Right? It's a process. Now, thirdly, we experience this new life. Uh, we experience the new life. Right? Nicodemus basically said, you know, he said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus affirmed, he saw there was something different about Jesus, right? Jesus, you're doing miracles, and you obviously are from God. So he saw there was something about Jesus, right? But being born again is more than recognizing something supernatural in Jesus. It's recognizing it's recognizing and experiencing that something supernatural has happened to us. Our first birth is natural. The new birth is supernatural. The spirit is not part of the natural world. The spirit is above nature, outside of nature. The Holy Spirit is supernatural. He's God, right? So he is the cause of being born again. So lastly, lastly, when we experience the new birth, we then display this new life, right? Regeneration means we now live differently. Once we are reborn and once we experience this new life for ourselves, then we have this ability to actually live differently. And I cannot stress this enough. Paul writes in Romans 8, starting with verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If you have the Spirit of God, you're still warring with your flesh, but you have life. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. You are made alive by Christ. The Spirit is in you. Ephesians 2 says we are made alive in Christ and given this faith as a gift, right, so that we may believe that Christ is the Son of God and may come to him with all we are, fall at his feet. We don't just have faith and, like, add Jesus as an accessory, right? He's not just an add-on to our life, right? I mean, he's not simply just, eh, I'm going to take, you know, Jesus, I'm going to add him over here, and that's going to make my life a little better, right? Paul writes, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We are no longer slaves to fear and sin. We are children of God. There's a song. I'm no longer a slave to fear, 
I am a child of God. I mean, we can cry out to our Heavenly Father both in joy and in need, right? We can praise Him and we can cry out to Him when we're in just dire need of help. I mean, when sin and temptation come against us, like Paul said, we don't have to fall back into that fear. We don't have to fall back into that sin again. We now have the power to say, no, no, I'm not doing it. Lord, I'm living for you. The spirit of slavery, the spirit of fear is now dead, put to death by the power of the spirit of the new birth. The life we now live as born-again followers of Christ, we live in the spirit. Now we can overcome. So John, in the first letter, in his first letter, 1 John, writes this, and I'm going to kind of close with this here a little bit. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So think about this. We're born again. If we believe in Christ, then we've been born of God, right? And notice it says, everyone who, who believes who continues to believe, has been born of God. So if you believe and continue to believe, you have already been born of God. You've already been reborn. But what else does it say? If we believe in Christ, everyone who loves the Father also loves all the others who have been born again. So think about this. If we're born again and we love God, we also love each other. We also love each other, and I'm going to say with a love that probably the world is going to be like, whoa, I've never seen that kind of love for one another before. And that's what, I mean, I think that's a sign. So being born again, right, we love God, and we love his people. That's why we're able to sacrifice sometimes the way we do. That's why we're able to love the way we do. That's why we're able to, you know, rise above the way we should do. John also writes, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For the love of God, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Now think about this, if we're born of if we're born again, if we're children of God, right? We love God. Which makes sense because children should love their parents. I mean, I get that, you know, not all parents are perfect and you know all this kind of thing, but I mean, Children should love their parents. So that makes sense, right? We love God because we're children of God. But children should also obey their parents. There's that four-letter word, right? The old word, obey, right? Obey. Children should obey their parents. Why? Because they love their parents, okay? If you love someone, think about this. If you love someone and they ask you to do something, you sure, absolutely, I'll do it for you. You do it out of joy. You don't go, oh, my word, this guy, man. He's like asking me to do something constantly, you know. It's not a burden. It's a joy. Now, I mean, I will say this. I mean, I know we live in the world, right? And, you know, not everybody's going to go, oh, thank you for asking me to help you. I just can't wait. Yay. You know, sometimes, you know, we're having a bad day. Sometimes things are, you know, we still live in the flesh, right? We still have to fight this. Right? We still have to strive to obey, right? But think about this, you know, but deep down, if we love God, do we strive to obey all that he has taught us? Because even in the Great Commission, 
It says what? Go baptize, teaching them to obey all that I have taught you, right? If we love God, do we strive to obey all that he's taught us? Do we exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? I mean, when someone wrongs us, do we just get angry and go, man, I'm going to get back at that guy, you know? Or do we go, do we keep calm and go, oh, you know what? I'm just going to like say a quick prayer for this dude because he may need it, you know? I mean, do we, do we do that? Do we fill our minds with what is good and godly? Or do we comp- continue to pour junk into our minds that affects our thoughts and attitudes, right? We don't have to continue to do these things that displease God because we have actually been changed by the Spirit of God. You know, we may still have the urge, but now we have the power to fight and win. John writes again, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes in Jesus is the Son of God? Who is it that overcomes except the one that believes Jesus is the Son of God? We can overcome the world with its evil desires that go against God's commands. We, we can do it. Not all the time. Not all day, every day. All right? Like I said, sometimes it's a fight. Sometimes we make progress. But it's the desire. It's the want to. Right? I want to. I may fail. I'm convicted. I'm like, oh, man, I'm sorry. You know, I want to. Just like little children strive to please their parents. You know, we can love God instead of loving something else that we think will provide for us, take care of us, or make us happy, right? That's idolatry. We can now, as born-again children of God, live for God and display what it means to be a Christian. We can actually love God and love our neighbor. We actually can do that. So I'm going to leave you this morning with a little gem from, of course, one of my Favorite historical Christians, Charles Spurgeon, all right? He writes, the change is radical. It gives us new natures, makes us love what we hated and hate what we loved. We sets us in a new road, makes our habits different, our thoughts different, makes us different in private and different in public. So that being in Christ, it is fulfilled. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So let's pray.